service announcement from Brill Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> Don't argue with the ball. Roger, we'll go. It's as good as done. The complete solution for your home PC. Motherfucker. Oh! Hey, 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 good evening and welcome to the ravings of a clown on just the radio. Like planet Pluto, baby. Come on, come on, come on in. Have a seat. Sit down. Make yourself the home. Stick it where the sun don't shine. From a cooker. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Bloodhound gang. The roof is on fire. So we don't need no water. Let the motherfucker burn. Burn, motherfucker. Hey, hey, hey. Ladies. Everybody say ho. Everybody say ho. 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 Yo, yo, this hardcore. All right. Take it evening. Welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Just Radio. It's Monday, March the 31st, the last day of March, the year of our Lord, 2008. Welcome, one. Welcome, all. That includes you. Me? No, not you. you. It includes uh, all those nice folks out there in Radio Land. Not specifically, not you. Hey, um, everybody. Dick. 
<laughs> Luann says ho. She said ho. Everybody said ho. Hey, good evening. Welcome to the Ravings of a Clown. Such a show as Grandma Jester would say, featuring Dar Williams, Jackson Brown, Bob Dylan, Elliot Smith, Donovan Leach, Phil Collins, Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan, some more. Blood, sweat, and tears, and so much more. Plus, the request lines are open. Tell us what you want to hear. We'll get it on the air within 15 minutes, or I have my left testicle surgically removed live on air without the benefit of anesthesia. Ooh. Also, we're going to take a look at what's going on in that sick fucking world of yours, and we're behind the glass this evening with Robert the Engineer. Good evening, son. How does it go? Well, I tell you, my friend, it goes and goes. How do it go, man? It goes and goes. Uh, we were at a uh, lovely barbecue the other day. Yes, we were. That was quite a lovely barbecue. And the the especially there was a lot of ravings. I don't know if you heard among the talk among the people, uh, but there was a lot of talk about the steak. The steak. The, the steak was pretty good. The, everybody was raving about. Well, let me tell you what happened with the steak. Um, I was cooking it, as you know. I was grilling it on the barbecue. Yes. And there seems to be some kind of rumor going around that I overcooked the steak. You overcooked it? That I do, as a habit, habitually overcook the steak. Uh-huh. This is the rumor that's been going on around about me all these years. That you overcooked the steak. That I, I thought overco- it was actually quite, quite, quite magnificently. Thank you. Well, this is the, <laughs> this is the it story. Just, it was just juicy. It was just juicy enough. It Thank was, you. It was red and perfect. But it was barely still mooing. It, it was had mooing. its last last moo about well, two minutes before. Here's I ate the it. deal on the steak. Apparently, what happened was there came a certain point in the food preparation where there became a big discussion over who was going to go outside and tell the jester to stop cooking the steak. <laughs> okay. So the Jeff turned to Bob the engineer senior yes, Bob and the said engineer go senior. and tell and said to him go tell the jester it's done and he put his hands up and said i'm not telling him yeah I, i'm not i wouldn't be the one to <laughs> and tell she him said you're telling him and he said i'm not going out and telling him she said you're telling him so he went outside and here i was cooking i you know was showing him yeah, see, this is how you cook a good Your steak, dad, blah, blah, blah. This is, and he comes out and he goes, uh, they're done. I said, no, they're not <laughs> done. He said, yes, Jeff says they're done. And he just started taking the steak. So that's the story behind the steak. Um, and uh, it turns out they were. Everybody everybody done. thought I was kind of crazy, man. They were talking about, um, I was when we were all talking about getting the tattoos and I was was telling everybody I thought it felt good. Everybody was looking at me like it was a fucking nut job. Well, you are a nut job. It doesn't feel good. Yes, it does. It, if it, it feels, tickles. It feels like a really deep muscle Then massage. there's something terribly wrong with you. That's what the people were trying to say to you, Bob. That it's not normal to enjoy pain. And if you do, you know, obviously, there's something terribly wrong with your mind. Maybe there is something wrong with me. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, and then uh, the birthday girl went out and got herself a uh, tattoo. Did you see it? No, not yet. But, by the way, I talked to her, and she said it felt good. So, uh, fuck you. <laughs> you said no such thing. Yeah, she did. Actually, I talked to her moments after she Really? Well, it. it came out looking good. Uh, she made her own design. She's very autistic. Is that autistic? The, is that the word? Autistic, yeah, I think so. You're a fat smeller. And she... Uh, Sorry. Excuse smart, me? Smart feller. And and she made this design herself, but it included a cre- it, in, it had in it a crescent moon and uh-huh. a, and a star. 
Yeah. Amusing. Among other things, had like a yin and yang thing going. And Actually, you, one of one of my friends drew something very similar that he wanted to get tattooed on him. He has it in his car. But did you realize that the, the, the moon and star is the symbol of Islam? No. The crescent moon and the star is the Muslim symbol. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just saying. She, so, so we got to keep an eye on her or something? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? You said it, not me. So well, you, no, you were I think you were she thinking she, it, but I I'm think she it. she drew from the um, body of uh, you know of symbolism out there. One of them is the moon and the star. You know, I don't think she's a Muslim. No, I don't think she's she's a terrorist. But we're talking, of course, about little Jeff. Yeah, the Jeffet number two, as they say. So much more uh, um, happening in the world uh, today. We've been gone for a week. It was um, it was a illness turned into a vacation, is what it was. And I'm, as you can hear, I'm still a little bit snu- uh, snuffy. Is that a word? No, I don't believe it. Um, I'm still a little bit stuffed stuffed up, but um, I think I can manage for the evening. We'll play a lot of music. What was that? Where, where, where? My pussy hurts. Oh, right. Yeah, I got you. I'm a pussy because I had a cold and I'm sick. Yeah. Well, perhaps, you know. I'm sick of that shit. I'm not a pussy. Oh, you are a pussy. You just don't know it. <laughs> Close your legs, man. It smells like Time to turn our attention <laughs> to the headlines. Fucking, where's that coming from? From high atop Jester Radio Studios in a secret location outside your universe. Democratic Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton accused rival Senator Barack Obama and his allies trying to stop people from voting. Uh, Some of his backers have called on her to drop out of the presidential race. You know, everybody's saying that Hillary has been mathematically eliminated from the presidential race. And this is the thing that really pisses me off because I didn't get to vote on her yet. And we have this fucking cockamamie system where people vote for people who vote for people who vote for people. And there's only like this whole huge campaign that's been going on has all been for like 2,000 votes. It's crazy. They've been trying to be the first ones to get to 2,000 votes. And we got 300 million people in the country. It took them that long to get to 2,000 votes. I really don't think I want either of them fucking. (laughs) The whole thing is so absurd. The Obama campaign rejected the charge, dismissing Clinton's criticism as highly laughable. So they're really like going at each other's throats at this point. They were like so um, civil to each other when it started out. In a series of television interviews and states holding upcoming contests, Clinton vowed to press on with her campaign and suggested Obama and his supporters wanted to keep those states from playing a role in selecting the party's presidential nominee. My take on it is a lot of Senator Obama's supporting want to end this race because they don't want people to keep voting, she said uh, to CBS affiliate KTVQ in Billings, Montana. That's just the opposite of what I believe. We want people to vote until they vote for me, in which case then I want them to stop voting. Well, I have a question. Why is it... Why is it- why is it that about 2,000 people for each of these uh, people, you know, well, why well, is it that 2,000 people get to decide for, you know, the entire fucking nation? Well, that's a question I've been asking, you know, the past nine months on the air is what exactly is this deal with these primaries and these caucuses where we whittle down the, um, you know, the the group of candidates that we have to choose from until there's basically going to be two. There's going to be uh, B- Obama and uh, McCain. 
And what happened to Huckabee? And what happened to uh, Ron Karen? Paul? What happened to <laughs> Ron Paul? What happened to uh, all these people? Why don't we get to vote on them? Why were they eliminated before I even got into the fucking voting booth? Uh, she says, um, we want people to vote. I want the people of Montana to vote. Don't you? Montana holds its primary on June 3rd. The New York Senator made similar comments in interviews with stations in Indiana and North Carolina, which held uh, primaries May 6th. Obama leads the overall race for the Democratic national uh, nomination with 1,631 delegates, including separately chosen party and elected officials known as superdelegates. He got the backing of Minnesota State uh, uh, um, state uh, Senator um, Amy Klobuchar today, uh, Clinton has 1,501. So he's got 1,631, she's got 1,501, and these people are out there spending hundreds of millions of dollars to campaign to like 11 people. It's really fucking stupid. It's a fucking obscenity. A and meanwhile, I didn't get, I mean, it's fine if uh, that included everybody. It's just a fucking joke. Oh, another fine marijuana cigarette, Bob. Thanks. Really is quite perfect. Is this two papers or? No, that's one. That's one. I, I even took. I even took a little bit off. I didn't want to take too much off, though. Well done. They were one. And, they were one and a quarter, so I broke it down a little bit. Ah, uh, one and a quarter. Yeah, a lot of the women prefer that. Yeah, it's a big choice. That's all and, I can. That's all I can find. So no, I'll it's just not. Tear it off. No, it's not. The the the, the, the singles are the most popular papers in the world, right? They're like, how much are a pack of papers now? Like thirty five cents. Yeah, right. HUD secretary, HUD secretary yeah, Alfonso right. Jackson, his tenure tarnished by allegations of political favoritism and criminal investigation, announced his resignation today amid the wreckage of the national housing crisis. He leads behind men. What a fucking legacy these Bush people are going to end up leaving. <coughs> this it's gonna is going to go something like this. They took over and then completely and totally fucked everything up in the entire country. Can you think of and one thing that's better than it was there. eight years ago? No. The, the country is at war. The, the world despises us. The economy is in the fucking toilet. Education is a joke. Healthcare is an emergency crisis situation. Can you think of one area in which this administration improved the country? No. The move comes at a shaky time for the economy with soaring mortgage foreclosures and pending nation, uh, nation's credit markets. And announcing that his day at HUD, uh, his last day was going to be April 18th, Jackson said only, quote, there comes a time when one, when one must attend more diligently to personal and family matters. It's always the family. They, they always need to end up spending more the time with the family. Family matters, yeah. Some uh, congressional Democrats have pushed for him to uh, get the fuck out already. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Rodham Clinton said that while Jackson's resignation is appropriate, it does nothing to address the Bush administration's wait-and-see posture to our nation's housing crisis. And this has been the hallmark of the Bush campaign method, which is to do absolutely nothing until there's a, 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 a crisis of uh, you know, world-ending proportions and then fire somebody. Did the same thing with the uh, guy who was the head of FEMA. Remember him? 
Uh, he patted him on the back on the news and told him he was doing a good job. And then two days later, he was firing him for doing shit. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said HUD would be called on to work with Congress in assisting refinancing for borrowers faced with uh, imminent foreclosure. The ethical allegations against Jackson meant that the Bush administration's ineffective housing practices were being burdened by an even more ineffective HUD secretary. What a joke. It really is. I can't think of one uh, effectual uh, administrator um, in this executive office. The entire cabinet is corrupt. Um, now, somebody was telling me, I think it was Poe, was telling me that, um, uh, who was it? Some um, uh, governor uh, that was on Bill Maher the other day um, oh. is going to propose again. It's like they're going to be this fifth or sixth time this one governor has proposed that is going to propose um, national legalization of marijuana again because he thinks it's, it's got a, a chance. Because it, it really is a fucking joke. It's a joke to, to tell somebody, oh, you can't fucking smoke this or, you know. Fucking, it would have been unthinkable. Like, like I've heard you say a million and a half times, if I want to fucking drink Drano, goddamn it, I'm going to fucking drink Drano. And you would think that in the land of liberty that, uh, you know, that would be your prerogative. But as of 1938, there have been all kinds of consumption laws that uh, bar you from, you know, consuming alcohol, drugs, tobacco, you know, all these things that, um, you know, we take for granted. We I'll, can. I'll tell you, the only thing that fucks that 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 this harms is it fucks you up in the way that if you get bagged doing it, it just becomes a fucking legal hassle for you. That's the only way that this shit can possibly fuck you up. Uh, you know how many people have died from an overdose of marijuana? Uh, none. Exactly. To date, zero. Zero deaths. So tell me, tell me, tell me why it should be illegal. I mean, you can't say like, that about... I mean, you can't. You definitely can't say that about fucking alcohol. You can't you say that right. about salt. My God, how many things know, can right? you say that about? We should make salt illegal. Uh, not too many things out there that are uh, as harmless for you as marijuana. Chelsea Clinton returned today to North Carolina telling college students that the world will breathe a sigh of relief once President Bush leaves office. Clinton spoke today using a town hall meeting with the students at North Carolina State University. She later moved on to the Peace College in Raleigh to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She told about 250 people at North Carolina State that her mother, New York Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton, would work to repair the nation's reputation abroad. My mommy's going to fix the country. It's going to be fun. She was named after the song Chelsea Morning by... Uh, um, who wrote, who did that? Who did that song? Uh, Joan, uh, Joni, uh, what's her name? Joni. Um. Yes, my mind has turned to duty. I think the world will breathe a sigh of relief. She urged the crowd to register to vote, and um, and uh, and put her mommy in office. She also couldn't avoid questions about her father, good or bad. An audience member at North Carolina State. Also pressed Clinton to discuss the Monica Lewinsky scandal. 
Who wouldn't? Who the fuck wouldn't? Who's not going to ask about that? Come on. Oh, I don't want to ask you about your father's blowjobs. Why would they ask her about her father's blowjobs? Because it's fucking priceless, dude. Bill Clinton's the man. Nobody's business. Nobody's business but his own. Clinton. Well, you know what? I mean, come on, dude. You got bagged doing it. Everybody fucking knows now, so now you get to live with it, dude. You know, it's not going to go away anymore. It's just like if you got caught getting... Getting a blowjob in school, dude. The whole fucking school is going to know about it. Or at the office. Well, the whole fucking office is going to know about good it. Good point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're going to get hell for it no matter what. So, I mean, you fucked up in front of the whole country. Now you're going to have to fucking no, deal I with don't, it. You know, I personally don't consider that a fuck up. I don't know what his arrangement was with uh, Hillary. I don't care to know. It's none of my business. But there are couples for whom that's not a problem. So, I don't know. So, that doesn't tell me enough about his character. Uh, without knowing more. If they had been through this, if he had promised, if he lied, and you know, then that would be a different story. Either way, he's the man. <laughs> Clinton declined. To, and, and it's funny, we just can't bring ourselves to fully hate him either. Uh, everybody just sort of admires. He really is a cool guy, man. Did you ever yeah. see the episode of Family Guy where he fucking takes Peter? And Peter's just getting really down on his luck, and he takes Peter out and for a good time in the town. They do all sorts of crazy shit, and then they smoke a fucking huge... Huge fucking joint. He, Bill Clinton's like, or Peter's like, what are we gonna do now? And Bill's like, we're gonna go to the moon. <laughs> no, I and didn't then they see smoke that. the joint, funny. and then they fucking come up on the on this farm, and there's a pig, and, and they're like, oh, I'm so hungry. He's, and Bill's like, we could eat it. It'd be oh my so God. quick. It would only take like a minute. And then we could go do other stuff. <laughs> and, so do they hack up the pig? I don't know. They just take the pig. And the next morning, Peter wakes up and the pig's running around in the fucking kitchen and shit. Well, I guess everybody sees him And then Lois, and then Lois goes to go talk animal. to Bill about what the fuck happened the night, that night. And all of a sudden, she fucks Bill Clinton. And then, then Peter goes to talk to Bill about Lois fucking him. And then Bill ends up fucking Peter. And both times, they're just like, whoa. You're quick. You're good. <laughs> You're real good. <laughs> it was weird. And I'm just sitting there in bed afterwards, and they're like, "Oh, that was." You're real good. Like <laughs> they weren't expecting it. It was just funny. Clinton declined to discuss her father's relationship with the White House intern, drawing applause when she told the young man that it was none of his beeswax. Clinton had a similar exchange last week at Butler University and in Chapel Hill. She was asked whether a vote for Hillary was a vote for Bill. It's uh, Is a vote for Hillary a vote for Bill? No. A vote for Hillary is a vote for Hillary. She said, I'm very proud of what my father did in the 90s, but I don't think you should vote for or against my mother based on my father. Also in Chapel Hill, Clinton pinned a blue, light, uh, blue ribbon to her blazer in memory of Eve Carson, the UNC student body president who was killed back on March 5th. It was always Eve's dream to have a presidential campaign come to campus, said student body vice president Mike Tarrant. But in September, when the school contacted the campaigns, North Carolina didn't really matter, he said. It was a great feeling to kind of see her dream come true. In response to a question about NASA funding, Clinton said the budgets of many scientific programs have either stayed flat or been cut. She pointed to Bush's veto of stem cell research. We don't know uh, what uh, we have lost under this administration, she said. Good point. You know, because of this religious, wacky fervor, in this administration, barring stem cell research, yeah, who knows where is, we'd be right what now? What the fuck is that about? You know, like we could probably be fucking, you know. It's it's pandering to people could be walking again. I know it. You it's know? pandering to these whack, you know, these whack job religious nuts who think 
that the symbolism of killing uh, of cells that are already going to the trash dump um, is more important than people's lives. They're idiots. Superstitious morons. Rockets fell on the green zone and random machine gun fire rang out today in the southern, southern city of Basra. Good. As Shiite cleric Muqtada al-Sadr sought to reign in his militia after a week of battles that claimed about 400 lives. So the, the downturn of violence, supposedly, recent downturn of violence that the Bush like administration the keeps pointing to is over. The peace deal between the al-Sadr and Iraq government forces said to have been brokered in Iran calmed the violence but left the cleric's Mahdi army intact. And Iraq's U.S.-backed prime minister politically battered and humbled within his own Shiite power base. Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki had promised to crush the militias that have effectively ruled Basra for nearly three years. The U.S. military launched airstrikes in the city to back the Iraqi uh, effort, but the ferocious response by the Mahdi army, including rocket fire on the U.S.-controlled green zone and attacks throughout the Shiite south, caught the government by surprise (laughs) and sent officials scrambling for a way out of the crisis. The government was caught by surprise. What did they know? These are the same morons that keep pointing to the generals on the ground and say, uh, should we ignore their advice as if generals make foreign policy anyway? The generals tell us to stay in it. They tell us that the violence is down. So what does this mean? That the advice (laughs) that we're running this war on is from a bunch of fucking retards? Because apparently the violence isn't down. And the government is being taken by surprise. Man, you never want to hear that. The confrontation ended, uh, enabled al-Sadr to show that he remains a powerful force capable of challenging the Iraqi government, the Americans, and mainstream Shiite political parties that have sought for years to marginalize him. And the outcome cast doubt on President Bush's assessment that Basra battle was a defining moment in the history of a free Iraq. With gunmen off the streets, around-the-clock curfew imposed in Baghdad last week, lifted at 6 a.m. T- uh, today, except in Sadr City and two other uh, Shiite neighborhoods. Streets of the capital buzzed with traffic and commerce. Several rockets and mortars slammed today into the green zone, the nerve center of the Americans' mission in Iraq. But the U.S. Embassy said there were no reports of serious injuries. At least two Americans working for the U.S. government were killed and green zone attacks last week. So it's just a fucking mess. Even their most, uh, uh, their, their, their sacred ground, the, the green zone that they supposedly hold uh, absolutely, even that's not fucking safe from this uh, lunatic who's got, you know, not, not guns and snipers, but bombs. An American soldier was killed today by a roadside bomb in northern Baghdad. The U.S. military said without specifying whether the attack occurred in Shiite or Sunni uh, area, the military also said a U.S. soldier wounded south of Baghdad on March 23rd died yesterday in Germany. And these are a lot of the statistics that we don't hear uh, about the war, people who are wounded and then die later and not counted in the uh, battlefield deaths. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Monday, March the 31st. Hanging in the Jester Radio chat room with Lulu hanging behind the glass with Bob the Engineer and taking a trip out to L.A., tooling along in my Chevrolet, token on a number, and digging on the radio. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on JR. Don't fuck with that dial. It gets good. Starting right now. 
I was taking a trip out to L.A., tooling along in my Chevrolet, talking on the number and digging on the radio. Just as I crossed the Mississippi line, I heard that highway start to whine, and I knew that left rear tire was about to go. Well, the spare was flat, and I got up tight, cause there wasn't a filling station in sight, so I just limped on down the shoulder on the rim. I went as far as I could, and when I stopped the car, it was right in front of this little bar, kind of a redneck-looking joint called the Dewdrop Inn. Well, I stuffed my hair up under my hat and told the bartender that I had a flat and would he be kind enough to give me change for a one. Well, there was one thing I was sure proud to see. There wasn't a soul in the place except for him and me, and he just looked disgusted and pointed toward the telephone. I called up a station down the road a ways, and he said he wasn't very busy today, and he could have somebody there in just about ten minutes or so. He said, now nah, you just stay right where you're at, and I didn't bother to tell the darn fool that I sure as hell didn't have any place else to go. I just ordered up a beer and sat down at the bar when some guy walked in and said, who owns this car with the peace sign and the mag wheels and four on the floor? Well, he looked at me and I damn near died, and I decided that I'd just wait outside, so I laid a dollar on the bar and headed for the door. Just when I thought I'd get out of there with my skin, these five big dudes come strolling in with this one old drunk chick and some fellow with green teeth. And I was almost at the door when the biggest one said, you tip your hat to this lady, son. And when I did, all that hair fell out from underneath. Now, the last thing I wanted was to get in a fight in Jackson, Mississippi on a Saturday night, especially when there was three of them and only one of me. They all started laughing and I felt kind of sick and I knew I'd better think of something pretty quick so I just reached out and kicked old Green Teeth right in the knee. Now he let out a yell that'd curl your hair but before he could move I grabbed me a chair and said watch him folks because he's a thoroughly dangerous man. Well you may not know it but this man's a spy. He's an undercover agent for the FBI and he's been sent down here to infiltrate the Q Club's plan. He was still bent over holding on to his knee, but everybody else was looking and listening to me, and I laid it on thicker and heavier as I went. I said, would you believe this man has gone as far as tearing Wallace stickers off the bumpers of cars, and he voted for George McGovern for president. Well, he's a friend of them long-haired hippie-type pickle fags. I bet you he's even got a commie flag tacked up on the wall inside of his garage. He's a snake in the grass, I tell you guys He may look dumb, but that's just a disguise He's a mastermind in the ways of espionage They all started looking real suspicious at him And he jumped up and said, now just wait a minute, Jim You know he's lying, I've been living here all of my life I'm a faithful follower of Brother John Birch And I belong to the Antioch Baptist Church And I ain't even got a garage You can call home and ask my wife then he started saying something about the way I was dressed, but I didn't wait around to hear the rest. I was too busy moving and hoping I didn't run out of luck. And when I hit the ground, I was making tracks, and they were just taking my car down off the jack, so I threw the man a 20 and jumped in and fired that mother up. 
Mario Andretti would have sure been proud of the way I was moving when I passed that crowd coming out the door and headed toward me in a trot. And I guess I should have gone ahead and run, but somehow I just couldn't resist the fun of chasing them all just once around the parking lot. Well, they're headed for their car, but I hit the gas and spun around and headed them off in the pass. I was slinging gravel and putting a ton of dust in the air. Well, I had them all out there stepping and fetching like their heads were on fire and their asses was catching, but I figured I'd better go ahead and split before the cops got there. When I hit the road, I was really wheeling, had gravel flying and rubber squealing, and I didn't slow down till I was almost to Arkansas. Well, I think I'm going to reroute my trip. I wonder if anybody'd think I'd flip if I went to L.A. via Omaha.
Watch what you say. They'll be calling you a radical, a liberal, fanatical, a criminal, super tramp on Jest Radio, Charlie Daniels Ben. Before that. Uh, that was that's one of my favorite songs. And the uneasy rider. Mario Andretti would have sure been proud at the way I was moving when I passed that crowd coming out the door. And headed toward me in a trot. And headed toward me in a trot. I guess I should have gone ahead and run. But but somehow somehow I just couldn't resist the fun of chasing them all just once around around the parking lot. That's something I'd do, too. I'd do that shit. Like, if I fucking... I got into it with somebody at a bar, dude. Great they were story. trying to fucking get at. They were trying to chase after me, dude. I'd fucking chase after him. Classic in story song. The opposite of uh, Easy Rider. Well, I found a little run in your some second marijuana cigarette, but I fixed it. Yeah, it happens every once in a while. You can't. Sometimes you just can't help it. That one. It rolled really funny for some reason. I don't know why. Could be just a defect in the paper, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I don't like these papers that much, but. Really well, what are these? The the JBs, a little yeah. French. Yeah, that's papers. why I say you should use those zigzags. Uh, I just these are every time I go to the store, they're always out of the zigzags. Every time I ask for them. Yeah, I don't really think you're asking for them, because I've never even heard of a place that's out of Dude, zigzags. Dude, I swear to God, every time I go to the gas station, they're like, "This is <coughs> all we got, man." A boy who found the lone piece of evidence linked to the world's only unsolved skyjacking is now a 30-something father of five who's decided to start selling his treasure. Brian Ingram was an eight-year-old on a family camping trip when he discovered three bundles of deteriorating $20 bills on the shore of the Columbia River near Portland, Oregon. Back in 1980, the money turned out to be some of the $200,000 ransom D.B. Cooper was carrying when he parachuted from a plane after a 1971 hijacking. Now Ingram's taking some of his fine to auction, offering 15 bills through Dallas-based Heritage Auction Galleries. The live and online auction was announced today and is scheduled for June 13th to the 14th. My wife and I discussed it over the years, and we decided we wanted to share it with people, said Ingram of Mena, Arkansas. That's code for we need the money. The auction announcement uh, came after the recent discovery of a tattered half-buried parachute in the area where Cooper was believed to have landed. The FBI is investigating whether it was the one given to Cooper. In November of 71, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper, later mistakenly um, called D.B. Cooper, hijacked a Northwest Orient flight from Portland to Seattle, claiming he had a bomb. Do you remember this story? No, a little bit before your time. Famous story. He actually parachuted out of a fucking Boeing 747 from like 40,000 feet. All right, I'm sorry, but that's one crazy <laughs> motherfucker. I give him props. I Seattle, props. Tacoma International Airport. He released the passengers in exchange for 200 grand and four parachutes and asked to be flown to Mexico. He jumped from the plane somewhere near the Oregon state line. There was no trace of Cooper until Ingram came upon the $5,880 while brushing his hand over the sand, trying to clear a spot for a campfire. He was an eight-year-old kid. Found fucking five grand in bills. FBI matched the serial numbers and kept 13 bills. Case that ever prosecutes the Cooper case. The Ingrams also had to give some bills to an insurance company that paid the ransom. Once he sells the first 15, Ingram says he isn't sure how he'll proceed with the rest. um, Other than knowing that he'll keep a few, he said he isn't exactly sure how many because of their fragile condition. He also isn't saying apparently exactly how many he still has. While he prefers to stress the historic and sentimental value of the bills, he recognizes 
that they can be tickets to college for his children ranging in age from 7 to 14. Of course, we hope they get scholarships, he said laughing. Is this, is this money really worth enough to put his kids through college with? I don't think so. Heritage CEO Stephen Ivey isn't sure how much the bills will bring. His best guess was somewhere in the hundreds for smaller pieces and somewhere in the thousands for bigger bills that are more intact. Ingram and Ivy said announcing the auction after the recovery of the parachute was coincidental, but Ivy said it can only help. The more people that are aware, the more mystique that's created, the higher likelihood that it will reach yet another potential buyer. From our standpoint, that's a good thing. Cooper bills were authenticated by PCGS Currency, a division of Newport Beach, California-based Collectors Universe, Heritage recently had to refund thousands of dollars after auctioning off bogus Hollywood memorabilia. The auction house is suing the company that gave them the phony baloney items. Uh-oh. Yeah, you know, 90% of this crap that's sold as memorabilia around the country is crap. It's completely phony. But this uh, D.B. Cooper, uh, uh, you know, thing, I mean, it was such a... They did do, like, a made-for-TV movie... And uh, it was, you know, people talked about it for a few years. But, I mean, obviously, it's only like 28 years later, and even you don't know about it. So it can't be that important to the cultural. Uh, yeah, it really isn't. So. But it was the one and only time that anybody actually ever got away with a hijacking. It's, the, it's a notorious case. But uh, all the experts have said that they're absolutely positive that he died you can't parachute from a jet you can't parachute from above fifteen thousand feet you can't parachute you know going that fast and all these things he did so uh he's you know probably dead and if he didn't die then why was six grand of the 200 grand found in the in the woods you know yeah the earliest known gold jewelry made in the americas has been discovered in southern peru the gold necklace made nearly 4,000 years ago, this is 2,000 years Jesus before Christ, Christ, was found in a burial site near Lake Tibaca. A research uh, report in uh, tomorrow's issue of Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, the, disco- the uh, discovery was a complete shock. According to Mark uh, Alderurfer, Aldendurfer, Aldendurfer, an anthropologist at the University of Arizona. It was not expected. This is why they have the ability to change your name now if you end up with one of these names, Aldendurfer. Yeah, I know, right? It was not expected uh, in the least, he said, in a telephone interview. It's always fun to find something and go, wow, what is that doing here? In the past, it's been assumed that a society needed to be settled to produce agricultural surpluses that can support activities such as making ornamental objects, he explained. But the people living in this region at the time were still primarily hunter-gatherers, he said. They were on their way to becoming settled peoples, but they were not quite there yet. Someone, though, had the time and the knowledge to make this fucking thing, which he speculates is a sign of importance. These folks are obtaining this by their effort, accumulating more wealth, and using objects for prestige, Oldendorfer said. It says, pay attention to me, I'm successful. There's no evidence at the site that shows how it was made, he said, but it looks like a nugget of native raw gold, which occurs near the area, was pounded in a stone mortar and pestle. So you see what it is? It's like a bunch of like hunks of gold in a necklace. Yeah. thing must have weighed a ton. And when the guy who wore it, you know, it meant, hey, I got time on my hands. That's how powerful I am. Then the gold was probably wrapped around a piece of wood and pounded until it was folded into a tube. 
The researchers restrung the necklace, alternating nine small tubes with a series of round stones identified as either green stone or turquoise that uh, had holes in them that were found in the same grave. The next oldest gold ornaments found in the hemisphere, also located in Peru, uh, but further north, date to about 600 years later than this necklace. So this is like the the biggest find um, recently in North America. Uh, 4,000 years ago, these people who you would think were pretty much had a full-life job of hunting and gathering food yeah, know, and right? staying alive. Somebody had the time on his hands to uh, commission a piece of important jewelry because he was, he said probably to like the gay soldier, you know what I'm saying, the one who was like not killing anybody anyway. He said, you know, hey, you stay behind and make something pretty for the chief to wear. You can skip the mouth-to-mouth. Just press on the chest to save a life. And a major change, the American Heart Association said today, that hands-only CPR, rapid deep presses on the victim's chest until uh, help arrives, works just as well as standard CPR uh, for sudden cardiac arrest in adults, and you don't get their fucking saliva all over your mouth. Thank God. Because you know, it I used took to be CPR in high school. Was, it used to be before before the chest compressions, people would just blow into your mouth. It was called the kiss of life. When I was a kid, before CPR was invented, they would recommend you pinch the guy's nose when he was drowning, and you breathe into his lungs for him. There was no chest compression part to it. So now they've come full circle where they eventually added the chest compressions, and now they've completely eliminated the the sucking face. Experts hope bystanders will now be more willing to jump in and help if they see somebody suddenly collapse. Hands-only CPR is simpler and easier to remember and removes a big barrier for people who are skittish about the mouth-to-mouth part. You only have to do two things. Call 911 and push hard and fast on the middle of the person's chest said Dr. Michael Sayre, an emergency medicine professor at Ohio State University who headed the committee that made these recommendations. Hands-only CPR calls for uninterrupted chest presses, 100 per minute, until paramedics take over or an automatic uh, external defibrillator is available to restore a normal heart rhythm. The action should only be taken for adults who unexpectedly collapse, stop breathing, and are completely unresponsive. The odds are that the person's having a cardiac arrest, the heart suddenly stops, which can occur after a heart attack or be caused by other heart problems. In such a case, the victim still has ample air in his lungs and blood, and compressions keep blood flowing to the brain, heart, and the other organs. A child who collapses is more likely to primarily have breathing problems, and in that case, mouth-to-mouth breathing should be used. That also applies to adults who suffer lack of oxygen from a near-drowning, drug overdose, or carbon monoxide poisoning. In those cases, people still need the mouth-to-mouth part to get the air into their lungs and their bloodstream. But in either case, something is better than nothing, Sarah said. The CPR guidelines have been inching toward compression only. The last update back in 05 put more emphasis on chest pushes by alternating 30 presses with two quick breaths. Those unable or unwilling to do the breaths can skip them. Anyway, now the Heart Association has given equal standing to hands-only CPR. Those who have been trained in traditional cardiopulmonary resuscitation can still opt to use it. So did you have this when you were a kid in high school where they taught yeah. you CPR? Let me tell you something. And they taught us how to use the, the defibrillators too. 
the, the little portable uh, yeah, ones that yeah. they have in the halls. Did you get to scream uh, um, clear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'd always get stoned right before that class. Really fucking stoned and smoke cigarettes right behind the gym where we took it. It was priceless. I come in fucked up off my mind. Well, they had they had they had CPR. It was a voluntary thing, but I did go because Jeff went and she could talk me into going. And they had this big plastic dummy. Is that what you had? Yeah, we had all that shit. Yeah. So I don't know. I've never um, had to use it on somebody. You would think by now. They showed us how to do all the splints and shit like that. And oh, we didn't get that. How to do all I was CPR and first aid certified, so I could have gone and been a lifeguard. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that, that's what I want. I want to be a lifeguard. I want to be responsible for somebody else's life. Jessica Simpson is feeling much better. You really? may, you're, I'm sure you're relieved to was, hear. I didn't know she was feeling After bad. being hospitalized <laughs> with a kidney infection, Simpson was admitted to Cedar sinai Medical Center on Friday for a minor kidney infection, was released today. Her representative, Lauren Auslander, told Jester Radio uh, um, In Touch magazine reported that uh, her hospitalization today, Auslander said the 27-year-old singer-actress is feeling much better now. According to the In Touch report, Dallas Cowboy quarterback Tony Romo, Simpson's current squeeze, wanted to be uh, by Simpson's side, but he had prior commitments in Dallas. And Simpson is currently working on a country album. Finally, I'm glad. I'm glad to see her go back. Can you imagine to, uh, what an abomination! I, I want to see her do some country. I want to see if it's any good. It'd be nice to see. Oh, uh, you know, I'm. Not, I, I honestly, I'm not a big fan of hers. <laughs> Raúl Castro's government opened luxury hotels and resorts to all Cubans today, ending a ban despised across the island as tourist apartheid and taking another step toward the creation of a consumer economy in the socialist state. They have these tourist-only hotels in Cuba where the re- people who live in the country are not allowed to stay <laughs> because the government's like, you know, no, these are too good for you. You'll, you'll like, mess them up. <laughs> and the people are like, no, we'll pay the same amount. And the government's like, no, you still can't go. Cuba has made a series of crowd-pleasing announcements in the past few days. Cubans with enough cash will be able to buy computers... They can finally get DVD players and plasma TV starting tomorrow. Soon they'll be able to have their own cell phones. No way. Consumer goods only companies and foreigners were previously permitted to buy. But the latest surprise allowing ordinary citizens into the luxury hotels and resort beaches, long reserved for the rich foreigners, is a particularly symbolic victory for Cuba's every man. I was born here and live here, I believe, as a Cuban. I have the right to all, said Elizabeth Quintana, Havana resident. It's good, really good. Well, there was no official word from the government. Hotel employees said Ministry of Tourism officials told them that as of uh, a Monday, Cubans can stay in hotels and resorts across the island and pay to use gyms, the hair salons, and other previously off-limit facilities. Cubans can even rent cars for the first time. Can you imagine? And you know, they, since the embargo, they're not allowed to get cars on the island. So they have cars going back to the 50s yeah. on the island. And they keep like them in pristine condition. And I imagine they don't rust very much either. Exactly. It's the perfect climate. 
for uh, those cars to last indefinitely. Caribbean. Yeah. While there was no official word from the government, hotel employees said that uh, people can start staying for now. Few Cubans can afford a night in a hotel on a government salary, but that will change if Castro succeeds in increasing his citizens' spending power. Meanwhile, the government's creating the kinds of consumer incentives any economy needs to thrive. For many years, Cubans haven't been able to buy certain kinds of electronic goods, uh, lounge by the rooftop pool at the Hotel Capri, or enjoy a drink at sunset on the grounds of uh, the historic Hotel Nacional, no matter how much money they earned. As with other guests, the hotels will charge Cubans in convertible pesos, or CUCs, worth 24 times the regular pesos that most Cubans earn. The four-star Ambos Mundos, a favorite of the Ernest Hemingway, in uh, Old Havana charges 173 bucks a night in high season, more than eight times the average monthly state salary, which is 20 bucks. You heard me. Jesus. One night in this hotel. So, uh, how much do you make a month? Let's say you made like a thousand bucks a month. Yeah. So this would be the equivalent of a hotel room for eight thousand bucks per night. Still, at least 60% of Cubans have some access to convertible pesos and foreign currency, either through jobs and tourism or foreign firms or cash sent in by the U.S. relatives. And these incentives give them more reason to spend that cash, enabling the government to increase its reserves. According to Arch Ritter, an expert on the Cuban economy at Charlton University in Ottawa, Canada, I think this will get rid of many of the CUCs floating around on the streets, said McGaley. 69-year-old retiree who, like many Cubans interviewed, declined to have her full name appear in the foreign press, citing unspecified reprisals. They know the government will kick their ass if they talk to the media. But, um, yeah, so this is what I um, have been you know, talking about for many years. I believe, uh, you know, people talk about how, you know, Reagan uh, brought down the Soviet Union, but I believe very strongly it was the Walkman that brought down the Soviet Union. Once the American tourists started going to St. Petersburg wearing these little tiny Walkman on their belt, and the Russians got a load of these, and they were like, holy crap, we stand on line for two days for toilet paper. You have the entire hi-fi system on your belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this shit. Fuck the revolution. I'm pretty sure that that's how it went. That actually makes a lot of sense. You know, you can only convince people so much that it's worth it, you know. But when they see well, who they were taught is the great Satan, you know, Americans benefiting from, you know, from all the fucking shit that they have, uh, it's hard to convince people that that's not the life that they want. No, no, that's what they want. No, it's bad. It's capitalism. It's very bad. Yes, capitalism. Very bad. That's what I have. Please, more capitalism. Sean Levert, a third of the 1980s R&B trio, Levert and Son, of the lead OJ singer, Eddie Levert, has died after falling ill while serving a jail term. I don't know if you remember the OJs. She used to be my girl. You don't know that uh, no. group? And they do that song. A love train, you know, people all over the world, everybody joining. No. Join the love train. The next stop that we make will be England. You don't know this song? No. Uh, 
Tell all the folks in Russia and China too. So this is the group, the OJs. Levert was sentenced last week to one year and ten months in jail. You don't know these guys? Sounds cool, though. I love this group. A lot better than this one. They had that shaky voice thing, you know, that, yeah. uh, tell all the folks in Russia and China, too. Levert was sentenced last week to one year and ten months in jail for failing to pay 89000 bucks in child support. They threw him in the can. I never understood this idea of putting people in jail for not paying your child support. How are you supposed to make money while you're in jail? Yeah, I know, right? He died at Lutheran Hospital in Cleveland late Sunday, less than an hour after he was taken there from jail. Levert was sentenced by Cayuga County Common Pleas Judge Nancy Margaret Russo, who said a, pre, a, a pre-sentence report indicated that he'd been addicted to marijuana from the time that he was 14 years old. Shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> Lick my left testicle. Tell right? all the folks in Egypt addicted and to Israel, marijuana. too. Right. Don't miss this train at the station because if you miss it, I feel sorry for you. If you stand next to it, you might get high though. <laughs> so this poor bastard, he was addicted since, since he was 14 years old to marijuana. He didn't speak in his sentence. He gave no indication of health problems, the judge said today. Really? His brother, Gerald Levert, who had success as a solo artist after leaving the trio, died in 2006 at age 40 of an accidental mix of prescription and over-the-drug, over-the-counter drugs. The brother, uh, uh, the brothers had formed Levert in the 1980s with childhood uh, friend Mark Gordon. Their hits included uh, "Baby I'm Ready" and uh, Casanova. Casanova was nominated for a Grammy in 1988 for Best R&B Performance. By a duo, a group with vocal, it was also nominated for Best R&B Song. Uh, at Gerald Levert's funeral service in November of 2006, Sean uh, and his father performed Dance With My Father, personalized the words for Gerald. The elder Levert's group, the OJs, which is what we were just listening to, mm-hmm. was known for their smash songs, Backstabbers and Love Train. They smile in your face, and all the time they want to take your place, the Backstabbers. Sean Levert found a th- new uh, third partner last year and was trying to revive Levert. Uh, an autopsy was done today, but no immediate cause of death was determined, according to Powell Caesar, spokesman for the Cayuga County's or coroner's office. But he said there's no evidence of foul play or trauma. Of course, what's unusual about a 39-year-old guy dropping dead? Yeah, I know. Tell me. <laughs> Are you listening to the ravings of a clown on Jest Radio once upon a time? I felt so fine through the bums of dime. You're listening to the ravings of a clown on JR. It's the jester himself. Be where it is. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine through the bums of dime in your prime. Then you. People call, say, beware, doll. You're bound to fall. You thought they were all. I'm kidding you. You, you, 
But you know you only used to get Juiced in it Nobody's ever taught you How to live out on the street And now you're gonna have to get Used to it You say you never compromise With a mystery tramp But now you realize He's not selling any alibis As you stare into the vacuum of his eyes And say, do you want to Secrets 
a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that's fine. Because you're mine, I walk the line. Very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day is through. Yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you because you're mine. I walk the line. Yeah. As sure as night is dark and day is light, I keep you on my mind both day and night. And happiness I've known proves that it's right because you're mine. I walk the line. You've got a way to keep me on your side. You give me cause for love that I can't hide. For you, I know I'd even try to turn the tide because you're mine. I walk the line. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. As sure as night is dark and day is light. What's that? Hey, what are you guys drinking in those tall purple glasses? What is that rock good? Tea. Tea? Hey, a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to do you a brand new song that I wrote yesterday called San Quentin. I keep you on my mind both day and night. I'd like to ask my wife... June Carter, come back. Come here, June. And happiness I've known proves that it's right. Because you're mine. I walk the line, Johnny Cash on Jester Radio. They don't do them like that anymore. Bob Dylan before that, like a rolling stone. People called to say, beware, doll, you're bound to fall. You thought they were all kidding you. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on JR. It's Monday, March the 31st, and I am just getting out of my sickbed. You know, uh, this is when I get to have a vacation is when I'm sick. That's my vacation. Because otherwise, I don't have a vacation. You normal people, to me, every day is the fucking same shit for me. I don't even have a weekend. And I don't know why anybody gets one. Never understood what the deal was with that whole thing. Why do you want to stop uh, doing what you're doing anyway? Uh, it's, uh, what day is it? It's Monday, it's the last day of March, the year of our Lord, 2008. 
646-502-8600 gets you live on the air with the jester. And folks, please, I'm begging you, give us a call so I could I don't have to talk as much. 646-502-8600, probably a free call from your cell phone right now because uh, it's um, wherever it is, wherever you are, it's uh, it's it's the nighttime. Democrat Hillary Rodham Clinton today criticized the Bush administration's plan to overhaul regulation of U.S. financial institutions, saying that the proposal comes late and falls short. The New York senator said the government must move more assertively to contain the mortgage and credit crisis, um, um, rattling financial markets especially, in finding ways to ease soaring rates of home foreclosures. No amount of rearranging the deck chairs can hide the fact that our housing and credit markets are in crisis and they're sinking deeper every day, Clinton said in a campaign appearance. Every day we fail to take aggressive action is a day lost. Let me tell you something. Not not only do I really, really agree with that, and really believe that this woman has a real good understanding of national economics. But um, although voting, as Chelsea said, we reported earlier, voting for Hillary is not necessarily voting for Bill, but it is more of the same. They are, I think, similarly political uh, in their beliefs. And let me tell you something. The days of Bill Clinton administration were the most, um, you know, the, the, the best economic period, truly the best economic period of my lifetime. I mean, there was a, a period back in the Reagan 80s when there was this false, a uh, lot of borrowed money around um, this voodoo economics, you know, let's give the rich people more money and that way it'll trickle down to the poor people. But the best real economy of my lifetime was during Bill Clinton's administration. And I like that expression, no rearranging of the deck chairs. Clinton has focused on the nation's economic woes and appearances in Pennsylvania and other states holding primaries in the coming weeks, trying to persuade voters, the 11 or 12 of them in each state that they're campaigning for, that she's better prepared to tackle economic challenges than rival Barack Obama and Republican nominee-in-waiting John McCain. The former First Lady pledged as president to offer $100 billion in tax cuts for middle-class families to pay for health care, education, and other costs. Among other things, she proposed a $3,000 tax credit to help pay for the care of elderly parents or a disabled child and said that she would expand the earned income tax credit to make it available to a broader range of low-income workers. She saved her toughest talk for what she described as the lackadaisical effort by Republicans to halt the crisis gripping the financial industry. By the way, what interest is it of the people um, you know, who are having these foreclosures in halting this? Um, you know, they they need to, you know, hang on for dear life. They need every one of these mortgages to, you know. So it's in nobody's it's in nobody's interest to uh, accept the, you know, the good of the um, individual mortgage holder, holders. And there's certainly no lobby for them in government. She saved her toughest talk um, for this uh, lackadaisical effort to, to fix this situation. She also had unkind words from McCain's speech last week in which he resisted federal intervention to quell the financial unrest. Best I can determine, his plan 
was to not have a plan, she said. Earlier today, Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson announced an ambitious plan to give the Federal Reserve more oversight of the nation's financial regulatory system and to merge regulatory agencies with overlapping jurisdictions. The proposal also would create a new commission to set minimum licensing standard for mortgage brokers and move toward federal regulation of the insurance industry. Clinton said the government should take additional steps, including requiring all institutions eligible for the Federal Reserve's credit to follow the same regulations required of commercial banks, establishing federal oversight of newer financial arrangements like complex derivatives, uh, making rating agencies more dependent and reducing potential conflicts of interest, um, boosting consumer protections. You know, this rating uh, system where a lot of these people were given phony baloney credit ratings um, that they didn't deserve because the people who ran the credit checks were in on the scam. Everybody was fucking in on it right on down the line to these ridiculously uh, over-appraised properties, to these you know people who were approved of cre- for, for credit that they never should have. It was a confederacy of dunces, easing home foreclosures by pushing for legislation to expand the Fed uh, housing authority jurisdiction to guarantee mortgages and allow the agency to buy at-risk mortgages. So the government, she says, will buy your mortgage and then you pay the government, but they'll save your house for you. You're just indebted to the government, to your grave whenever you die, which, you know, uh, the truth is they do eventually get from you. Usually, you know, they squeeze it out of your estate somehow after you go. So, you know, but it is an emergency. There really is no good solution that's not going to hurt. Some of England's most sacred soil was disturbed today for the first time in more than four decades as archaeologists work to solve the enduring riddle of Stonehenge. When and why the prehistoric monument was built, the excavation project set to last until April 11th is designed to unearth materials that can be used in uh, to establish a firm date uh, for when the first mysterious set of bluestones was put in place at Stonehenge, one of Britain's best known and least understood landmarks. You know, there's been, uh, I love it, uh, the, this um, uh, thing we get to do where we let to get our imaginations run wild. We find this bunch of fucking rocks, you know, uh, uh, prearranged uh, on the ground. And like for the past, you know, 1400 years, man, we've been fucking scratching our heads and coming up with all kinds of wacky shit that it's there for. The truth is we haven't the faintest idea. The World Heritage Site, a favorite with visitors the world over, has become popular with druids, neo-pagans, and New Agers who attach mystical significance to the strangely shaped circle of stones, but there remains great debate about the actual purpose of the structure. The dig will be led by Timothy Darville, leading Stonehenge scholar from Bouncemouth University. What's that? Bournemouth? And Jeffrey Wainwright, president of the Society of Antiquities. What? antiquaries both experts have worked you know the, i love the i love england and i tell you i used to love going i used to go to england a couple of times a year but the language problem i just i just uh, had such a difficult time getting around both experts have worked to pinpoint the site in the uh, Prezili mountains in south wales where the blue stones the earliest of the largest rocks 
erected at the site came from, they'll be able to compare the samples found in Wales to those at Stonehenge on the Salisbury Plain. The excavation date uh, will date the arrival of the Blue Stones following their 153-mile journey from Prezelli to Salisbury Plain and contribute to our definition of the society uh, which undertook such an ambitious product, Wainwright said, we'll be able to say not only why, but when the first stone monument was built. So this has been a big part of the mystery of Stonehenge is that these stones, which weigh a, you know, a, a, a ton or more, or quite a bit, um, were actually brought in from hundreds of miles away, which... You know, we're talking, you know, uh, 2600 B.C. We're talking almost 5,000 years ago. Uh, scientists believe the Blue Stones were first placed around 2600 B.C., but they concede the date is only an approximation at best. The original Blue Stones were removed about 200 years later, and scientists hope to find bits of them embedded in the earth. Darvel said the excavation marks the first opportunity to bring the power of modern scientific archaeology to bear on a problem that has taxed the minds of so many experts since medieval times. Why were the Blue Stones so important to have warranted bringing them from so far away? The excavation goal is to find remnants of the original Blue Stones or related materials that can be subjected to modern radiocarbon dating techniques to establish a more precise timeline for the construction of Stonehenge, according to uh, David Batchelor, an archaeologist with American uh, English Heritage, which oversees the Stonehenge site. We have to find the material that will give us a good date, he said. That's where luck comes in. We can get an absolute blank, or we can get something magnificent, or we can get something in between. And you know what the uh, Christian people say? Um, that radiocarbon dating, it's a scam. Uh, Satan put it there to uh, trick you into thinking that the earth was that old. But everybody knows the earth is only 7,000 years old. And uh, the sun rotates around around the earth, and uh, it's flat. The beginning of the end will have to wait. The final opening day at Yankee Stadium was postponed because of rain today, pushing back New York's game against the Toronto Blue Jays. It was rescheduled for 7.05 tomorrow night. Previously, an off day in the series, Yankees uh, right-hander Chen Ming Wang said Toronto ace Roy Halladay uh, remains st- uh, slated to pitch. It's obviously a little bit anticlimactic. You want to get the first one in, Alex Rodriguez said. You just have to wait. You know, if I tell you, man, if I had a fucking nickel for the every, t- every time Yankee uh, opening day was uh, rained out. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Monday. The last day of March, year of our Lord, 2008. Phil Collins, please don't fuck with that dial. Yeah. 
good So I dropped into the luxury of the lords Fighting dragons and crossing swords With the people against the hordes who came to conquer I taste the warning I'm so amazed I'm here today Seeing things so clear this way In the car and on my way to
standing on the grave of a soldier that died in 1799. When the day he died, it was a birthday, and I noticed it was mine. And my head didn't know just who I was, I went spinning back in time, and I am high upon the gates of the church and let me out of here too many people have died in the name of christ for anyone to heed the call too many people have died in the name of christ and i can't believe it all and now i'm standing on the grave of a soldier that died in 1799 and the day he died was a birthday and i noticed it was mine and my head didn't know just who i was and I went spinning back in time, and I am high upon the altar. High upon the altar. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young on Chester Radio. And uh, the one man's uh, personal account of uh, his mystical experience with Stonehenge. Phil Collins, before that, I wish it would rain. Such a great um, performer. Uh, wasted a lot uh, on record because, you know, he started out life as a um dramatic actor he was oliver in the british uh what are you what are you pounding away at do you mind not doing that turn down your radio and stop okay, and down. and stop pounding whatever the hell you're doing who's calling you you're calling uh, the jester you're live on the air with the jester who's this speak up woman it's Louie. We can't hear you it's here. You have to any louder and you won't need a phone. What? But <laughs> it's Louie. What's your problem? It's Louie calling in from El Paso, Texas. Past the old El Paso is what they say about Louie. Yeah. I mean, not there about not go. about the town, I mean. And, of course, <laughs> many of you know that Louie, by day, is a school marm in the El Paso, um, specializing in handicaps and retards. And uh, they just they, they just look up to you. A lot of the time, they follow you around and kissing your hand, don't they? No, they the, don't. The retards. Did you ever notice... No. Did you ever notice now, what do they get... Well, what's the politically correct term nowadays for uh, mentally... Uh, challenged uh, youth. A person with a youth. mental disability. Wow. People first language. I tell you, I wouldn't mind so much the politically correct uh, lingo, but there's, uh, they always add you know, so many more syllables. <laughs> Retard is so much easier. It's so rude. And they don't seem to mind. <laughs> yeah, are, are you eating a candy bar? or are you? What's with the crunching and munching going on over there? I'm making noise. First, you're pounding. It's it's working. It's just working too well. We're hearing all the crunching. (laughs) So with the mentally challenged, is that what you call the mental challenge? No, it's a person with a mental disability. Oh, okay. So so have you noticed that the people with mental disabilities are very affectionate? Yes. 
Oh, really? When's the last time you were around somebody who had autism? No, autism, true, but the retards, I'm talking about the ones who are in the institutions. Retards, why do you You see, this is why we can't have a conversation. When I was a kid, I used to work, I used to do volunteer work when I was like 15, 14, 15, 16, for a group called AHRC. Do you know, ever hear of this group? Association for Handicapped Children. No. A-H-R-C, Association to Help the Retarded Children. Yeah, but they changed that. Okay, but meanwhile, nobody seemed to, retards themselves didn't seem to mind, and everybody knew what we were talking about. There was no ill will meant. Anybody can can be insulted. You know, the, the, the Arabs are insulted every fucking time. You know, you draw a picture of Muhammad, but I don't think the retards themselves mind. But one thing I did notice is that the re- reduction of intelligence seemed, aside from the autistic kids, which were the unusual kind, but in most kids with a mental disability, um, they had a much higher, lower sense of uh, of um, protection or shame, and they were much more affectionate. Oh, they're much more real. That's- no, I don't mean much more real. I mean much, much more affectionate. I mean, when you walk in the door... They would come over and kiss your hand unabashedly, like a five-year-old. So, un- unlike an ad- a normal adult would, you know, I'm talking about thirty-five-year-old men would come over and kiss your hand. So, uh, I, I, you're, I don't know what you're being such a tight ass about. Are you being protective of the retards and saying they're not overly affectionate? But everybody knows they are. <laughs> Right? Wouldn't you acknowledge? Can you at least acknowledge that the retards are affectionate? I can acknowledge that people with disabilities tend to be affectionate. <laughs> Man, that was excruciating. <laughs> so everybody knows. That, to be. Everybody knows that you're a uh, school marm for the mentally and physically challenged, and specializing in IT with an interesting mm-hmm. twist. By day and by night, of course, you have the world famous uh, Lulu's House of Pain uh, f- web uh, show featuring the well, not pain pleasure uh, featuring a lot of the women from the El Paso uh, area. And do you have any Mexicans in that group in that lineup there, or is it just ninety percent? Ninety percent. So you're an expert on um, on how how many times a week do you get over to Mexico? Oh, I don't go to Mexico. They come to me. Have you ever been? Yes. How many times? Hmm. Like across the border here, close by, probably only about ten, twelve times. Oh, only because the why it's skanky over there. All the kids yeah, run over and want to like sell you chiclets. To, <laughs> no, it's kind of like when you live next to Disneyland. Disneyland's no big deal. Yeah, that's true. Same thing. When well, you live next to Juarez, Juarez is well, no big deal. I used to work, uh, you know, eight blocks away from the Empire State Building. And, you know, I was probably up there maybe six times in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a couple more. I had some meetings up there, but. I was up to th- I was up at the top maybe six times in my life. Uh-huh. So what else is going on over there in El Paso? Not a whole lot. What I was you- just calling to tell you welcome back. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You've been 
um, diligently inquiring about my health on a daily basis. Uh-huh. And I sure do appreciate that. And uh, scolding me to sleep and uh, get uh, more chicken <laughs> soup. And Somebody's got to do that. And chicken soup should come naturally to you. But, yeah, and it's uh, much better today. You know, I'm actually able to breathe much more. And uh, so I'm sure I sound a little croaky. But not any more th- than I normally do. Maybe a tiny bit more. Do I sound kind of retarded? Do I sound what? How dare you? (laughs) As long as you don't sound retarded, I can do a retard voice, but I know you'd be very insulted, so I'll I'll not do it. But I will say this: that a, I mean absolutely no harm by it at all, any more than I do when I do a southern accent or you know any other voice. And b, the retards themselves don't seem to mind it one bit. So that's the big thing about the hanging out with retarded people. Uh, they don't, uh, you know, as long as you're not, you know, as long as they don't mind, then there's no harm. As long as you don't do anything fucking mean or say anything mean, you know, or trick them into go standing in the snow, you know. Remember that um, that book, that great book about the retard that got smart? I'm sure you've run across that. In the, in, what's that? retard that got smart? Yeah. You remember that book? No. It was called uh, Flowers for Algernon. You never read? Uh, I haven't read that one. You're kidding me. Very, very, very good book. Started out as a short story, um, and it's written as a um, diary. Day one, you know, and his intelligence is like 60 degree, you know, 60 points. And then by the time the experiments, you know, he's like speaking 14 languages and his diary entries are very complex and heavy. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I won't tell you what happens in the end, but it's all written as a diary. So you see, it starts out with this guy's got like the IQ of a, like seven year old or something. And uh, you should check it out. It was made into a movie called Charlie with um, some famous actor. I can't think of his name. Uh, Yeah, it sounds like you got a pack of wild dogs over there. Can't believe I can't believe somebody who who made a living uh, off of their retards never heard of the famous retard book, Flowers for Algernon. Sorry, we got to get you a copy of that. Well, thanks very much, Louie, for calling in. Go tame those uh, beasts. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he stands all of one foot tall. I'll go take care of him. Thanks a million, sweetie. <laughs> okay, um, feel better. All right, thanks. <laughs> that was uh, Louie uh, from El Paso, Texas, the minister's wife, who um, is uh, widely known. Um, that song, by the way, by, um, Graham Nash, um, um, called, um, Cathedral and performed by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, uh, alternate, alternately by Crosby, Stills, Nash and by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And, And I've also heard, um, um, Graham Nash do it solo. Um, is a story, um, that, um, Graham Nash said he got wasted one morning. He took uh, like six tabs of acid, got himself a car back in 1977. Oh, thank you, V. It was Cliff Robertson that played Charlie. And beautifully, 
he went from being, you know, like this very sort of touching. And what made me think of it was um, that scene um, where his buddies would trick him into standing in the snow waiting or standing on the corner waiting for the snow to come. And it was kind of very sad and, and you know, touching. Um, but at the same time, you know, it really shows you how fucking, you know, what a bunch of dicks human beings could be to the one that needs our protection the very most. We always subject them to the most uh, torture. We just seem to be uh, like animals uh, on the um, always jumping on the weakest one in the pack. Anyway, he got himself a limousine and a driver and went out to Stonehenge and walked through the, you know, at like six o'clock in the morning and went through Winchester Cathedral um, and had this cosmic uh, spiritual experience and uh, saw that uh, he was, you know, went out to the, to the gates of the church and ran out to the graveyard back there and, you know, he's screaming, let me out of the fucking church. Too many people have died in the name of Christ for anyone to heed the call. Too, too many people have died in the name of Christ that I can't believe it all. And now... I'm standing on the grave of a soldier that died in 1799. And the day he died was a birthday. And I noticed it was mine. And my head didn't know just who I was. And I went spinning back in time. Even under um, normal circumstances, <laughs> it's got to be pretty traumatic seeing the guys, uh, the day he died was your birthday. But um, then to be doing, you know, to be tripping your fucking noodle out on acid at the time so he had this uh, very spiritual experience and who knows maybe that's why those stones are there at stonehenge because uh you know just um maybe those guys were you know wasted too it seems like a lot of um uh, you know situations in history where people had these uh, great spiritual revelations is uh, lots of uh, cool drugs involved. Uh, remember that movie, The Killing Fields, uh, that, and that uh, Cambodian uh, journalist that was the um, um, main character? Uh, his name was Dith Pran, uh, the Cambodian-born journalist whose harrowing tales of enslavement and eventual escape from the country's murderous Khmer Rouge revolutionaries in 1979 became the subject of the award-winning film The Killing Fields, died yesterday. He was only 65. Uh, Dith died in a New Jersey hospital yesterday morning of pancreatic cancer, according to uh, Sidney Schonberg, the former colleague uh, at the New York Times. Dith had been diagnosed about three months ago. Uh, he was working as an interpreter and assistant for Schonberg in Phnom Penh, Cambodian capital, when the Vietnam War reached its chaotic end in April of 75. And both countries were taken over by commies. Schonberg helped Dith's family get out, but was forced to leave his friend behind after the capital fell, and they were not re reunited until Dith escaped four and a half years later. Eventually, Dith resettled in the U.S., went to work as a photographer for the New York Times. It was Dith Pran himself who coined the term killing fields for the horrifying clusters of corpses and skeletal remains of victims that he encountered on his desperate journey to freedom. The regime of Pol Pot bent on turning Cambodia back into a strictly agrarian society and his communist zealots were blamed for the deaths of nearly 2 million of Cambodia's 7 million people. These uh, leaders 
um, killed off one third of their own people. That was the phrase he used on the very first day during our wondrous reunion in the refugee camp, Schomburg said later, with thousands being executed simply for manifesting signs of intellect or Western influence or wearing glasses or watches. Death survived by masquerading as an uneducated peasant, toiling in the fields and subsisting on as little as a mouthful of rice a day and whatever small animals he could catch. After Death moved to the U.S., he became a goodwill ambassador for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees and founded the Dithpron Holocaust Awareness Project, dedicated to educating people on the history of the Khmer Rouge. He was a journalist and hero, New York Times executive editor Bill Keller said in a letter to the staff yesterday. He added, the last word is not one I use lightly. He was the most patriotic American photographer I've ever met, always talking about how he loves America, said AP uh, photographer Paul Sakuma, who knew death through their work with the Asian American Journalists Association. Schomburg describes death's ordeal and salvation in a 1980 magazine article called The, the Death and Life of Death Prawn. And Schomburg's reporting from Phnom Penh has earned, had, uh, earned him a Pulitzer Prize in 1976. Later, a book, magazine article became the basis for The Killing Fields, the highly successful 1984 British film starring Sam Waterston as the Times correspondent and Hang S. Noor, another Cambodian escapee from the Khmer Rouge, as uh, Dith Pran. Actually, the actor, the guy who played Dith Pran, was a doctor in Cambodia. The film won three Oscars, including the Best Supporting Actor Award to uh, Noor. Pran was a true reporter, a fighter for the truth and for his people, Schoenberg said. When cancer struck, he fought for his life again, and he did it with the same Buddhist calm and courage and positive spirit that made my brother so special. So sad. Death Pran gone at age 65 this Monday, March the 31st, the year of our Lord, 2000. And eight. Elliot Smith on JR. Don't touch that dial. I never really had a problem because of leaving. But everything reminds me of her this evening So if I seem a little out of it Sorry Why should I lie? Everything reminds me of her Spending the earth and pale The silhouette of the sun On the steeple And I gotta hear the same sermon all the time now from 
Jester himself on Jest Radio. Time passes slowly and then it fades away. Hey, you've been listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Monday, March the 31st. Extra special thanks for stopping by and spending a little time with us this evening. I know uh, it's been excruciating to listen to me because it's, it's, it's actually difficult to listen to myself through my own nose if you know what I mean. But thanks so very much for stopping by. 
It really means so much to us here at Just Radio on behalf of Bob the Engineer and Dolly the Receptionist and myself. Um, it means so very much. Also, while you're at it, um, please, if you get a chance, uh, stop by JustRadio.com and click on that Donate button and uh, just uh, show us uh, that you care. And uh, that way uh, we'll be able to uh, stay on the air and keep doing what we're doing, whatever the fuck that is. I have to say, I honestly feel like um, complete shit. But uh, this is my best two hours of the day, and I do thank you very much for that. Uh, honestly, this uh, past week uh, or five days or however long it's been uh, without you has been murder. A Kentucky man wasn't around when officers seized the reptiles from his home. That's because he was at a hospital having his fingers amputated uh, after he was bitten by a snake, his wife said. State Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources seized seven rattlesnakes, a gaboon viper, a gaboon viper, a king cobra, an iguana, two monitor lizards. He just must have gotten that one because he must have loved just saying gaboon viper. Uh, two monitor lizards, two alligators, a boa constrictor, and a python. Naturally, the 36-year-old Campbellsville man faces 15 counts of transporting wildlife into Kentucky without a transportation permit and 10 counts of possessing inherently dangerous animals, especially the fucking gaboon, Viper. Uh, Nassau County, New York, police have arrested a Queens man for damaging a Long Island car wash with his car. Authorities said the man was unhappy with the service that he got at the Elmont car wash on Sunday afternoon. He was offered a second wash, but got angry at having to wait and then drove his car into the uh, computer control facility. The computer controller was destroyed. The man was charged with criminal mischief and reckless endangerment. You know, I never did understand this policy of if you're dissatisfied with the product, we'll give you more of the same fucking product. You didn't like policy. If somebody doesn't like some shit, shouldn't they just get their fucking money back? Uh, you know, I saw an ad recently for this dating service like Match.com. If we don't find somebody that you can fall in love with within, within the first six months, we'll give you another six months for free. Like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> I get six more months of, no, of, of nothing? Some residents in an assisted living complex had quite a surprise. Uh, this is in Kuakuana, Wisconsin. Uh, when a deer jumped through the window, witness told police a black dog was chasing six or seven deer. One of them jumped through the residence closed window at the St. Paul home Friday afternoon. All of a sudden, I hear all this glass break, and there's a deer standing there about four feet away from me. And I've just never screamed so loud in my life, said nursing assistant Dana Hugland. Uh, Laura Marquardt, a certified nursing assistant at the care facility, said nobody was injured. The deer ran down the hallway and into one of the home's shower rooms where it was corralled until tenants in the area were moved to safety. The deer was then steered towards the open patio door where it made it its escape. Marquardt said that she was unsure whether it was the same deer or a second one that later ran across the patio and broke a second window but didn't get in. So they're thinking maybe that the deer came back. Maybe his friends didn't believe him, and he was trying to 
Authorities say a man robbed a bank in South Carolina uh, after the $173 check he tried to cash bounced. Police say he gave the te- you heard me. He see he gave the teller his personal check on Monday morning, but the teller couldn't cash it because there wasn't enough money in the account. And then uh, he told the teller that he uh, had to have the cash or someone was going to kill him. He wrote a note saying that he was robbing the bank. Police say the teller gave the man some money, and he ran away. Um, <laughs> police say they have a suspect, but they haven't made an arrest. Now, let me get this straight. He gave them his own check, and they don't, they don't know who he is. Isn't the name usually on the check? And don't they have an account? Can't they look? Uh, I'm mystified. A 77-year-old woman used her car to drive off a large dog that was attacking a mail carrier, uh, saving the woman from more bite wounds. Joan Machenowitz was backing out of her driveway when she heard Daniel Lawrence, 28, screaming this afternoon. Machenowitz drove at the mixed-breed dog and then yelled for Lawrence to jump into the car. I'm so lucky, said Lawrence, who had been on the job for less than two months. If she hadn't come, I'd have been tore up worse than I was. Lawrence suffered several bite wounds, before Machinowitz arrived, the dog had pushed open a backyard gate and attacked her while she was walking up to a mailbox. It was a very frightening thing, she said. Uh, she's a retired construction office manager. But I thought I should just help this poor girl. Police ticketed dog owner Sandra Kalawick for allowing the pet to run loose. Uh, L- Lawrence has been reassigned to a, a, another route. Uh, I don't want to say I'm traumatized, but I'm upset, she said. When I see a dog now... I get fearful. And the, the they gave a ticket to this owner, but what about fucking... The dog bit the fucking lady. That's all they get is a ticket? Come on. Is that enough? Police in La Crosse finally this evening are a little red-faced right now. They're apologizing after issuing an alert about a woman suspected of using a stolen credit card at a convenience store. They also helpfully issued surveillance video images of her. Someone who works with the woman saw it and recognized her. The woman said her co-worker was kind of joking around and said, I thought I saw you on Crime Stoppers. Uh, the woman hopped online and watched the video and found it was her. But she wasn't the one who did the crime. Gravillo said the mistake happened when police matched surveillance video with cash register information trying to identify whoever used the stolen car. They didn't realize there were two similar transactions at the same time. We had two very similar-looking people come into the register about 10, 20 seconds apart, uh, at each buying similar things. It was a one-in-a-million type of thing. Uh-huh. They picked the wrong one for the Crime Stoppers information, and the police service announcement ran for three days before the mix caused uh, the mix-up caused it to be pulled. We feel horrible about the mistake. We want to do all we can to minimize any inconvenience or embarrassment this woman may have experienced, Gavrilo says. Police said the woman, um, uh, s- police have sent the woman a personal note of apology and produced a new Crime Stoppers message with corrected information and a public apology. Uh, police did not realize the name of the woman. You know, it's nice that they apologize, and I respect that. Um, I'm, I'm always a sucker for an apology. I think that shows, you know, good uh, ethic. But. Um, you got to really be careful, man, before you show somebody's video on TV and say this is a, a criminal. Hey, you've been listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio this final day of March, the year of our Lord 2008. We'll see you again tomorrow when the calendar changes. Please remember to be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. 
Don't make assumptions and always, always do your best. That's the most important thing. We will meet in that place where darkness never comes. Until that time, Houston. good night. See you tomorrow. Your uncle said we're up here for the holiday Jane and I were having solstice Now we need a place to stay And her Christ-loving uncle Watched his wife hang Mary on a tree He watched his son hang candy canes All made with red dye number three He told his niece it's Christmas Eve I know our life is not your style She said Christmas is like solstice And we miss you and it's been a while so the Christians and the pagans sat together at the table Finding faith and common ground the best that they were able Just before the meal was served, hands were held and prayers were said Sending hope for peace on earth to all their gods and goddesses Great. The tree plugged in, the meal had gone without a hitch Till Timmy turned to Amber and said, is it true that you're a witch? His mom jumped up and said, the pies are burning And she hit the kitchen, and it was Jane who spoke She said, it's true, your cousin's not a Christian But we love trees, we love the snow The friends we have, the world we share And you find magic from your God And we find magic everywhere so the Christians and the pagans sat together at the table Finding faith and common ground, the best that they were able Where does magic come from? I think magic's in the learning Cause now when Christians sit with pagans, only pumpkin pies are burning Tried to do the dishes Her aunt said, really, no, don't bother Amber's uncle saw how Amber Looked like him and like her father He thought about his brother How they hadn't spoken in a year He thought he'd call him up And say, it's Christmas and your daughter's here He thought of father's sons and brothers Saw his own son tug his sleeve Saying, can I be a pagan? Dad said, we'll discuss it when they leave so the Christians and the pagans sat together at the table Finding faith and common ground, the best that they were able Lighting trees in darkness, learning new ways from the old And making sense of history and drawing warmth out of the And when I look in my window